0: Welcome to Madison Church. My name is Stephen. I'm lead pastor, and I'm so glad that you're joining us this week. We're starting a new study called Love Where You Live, and I'm really excited about the series because this week it has been very cold. There's a ton of snow on the ground. Uh, The Green Bay Packers choked yet again in the playoffs, and it kind of makes you wonder, why do I live where I live? But what we want to do is try to elevate the conversation To not just answer that question why, but to say here's how we can begin to love where we live if we don't already. Now, uh, several of you might know if you're new to Madison Church, you don't though. Several of you might know that my family, we bought a house last June. It's actually where I'm filming from this week. So we bought this house in June um, after years and years of praying and working to get our credit scores up and get enough money in the bank for a down payment. And after some well-timed stimulus packages, we were able to put an offer in on a house. Now, if you've ever looked to buy a house or if you've looked for a condo, a townhome, an apartment, wherever you're currently living, I bet you had certain things that you were looking for when you were looking for a place to live. For example, when we were shopping for a house, we wanted two bathrooms. We've gotten used to having two full bathrooms. We have the one that my wife Megan and I use, uh, toilet and shower, but we also want a separate bathroom for our gross kids. Um, I'm just kidding, sort of. We do have two bathrooms, so we were also looking for a house that had a yard. That way we could kick those uh, kids out and make them play, and you know, um, when we needed a break, and they'd be knocking on the door, mom, dad, it's raining, it's snowing, can we come in? No, five more minutes. I'm just kidding. We never did that to them, but I'm curious to know, Okay, so those were kind of a couple things that we were looking at when we were looking for a house to buy, the yard, two bathrooms. I'm curious, though, if you're watching, would you join the chat room and let us know wherever you live, townhome, apartment, or house, what were some things or what was the thing that was most important to you? I asked this question on Sunday night to our in-person gathering, and uh, a lot of people said it was the bedrooms. We needed four bedrooms. We needed three bedrooms. We needed a lot of bedrooms so that the kids didn't have to share rooms anymore. Some people chose based on location. They wanted to live in a certain town or in a certain school district. Other people said, hey, you know, it's just close to where I worked. Um, But most everyone agreed it was in my price range, and there's a lot of truth to that as well. But let us know why you live where you live now for a lot of people buying a home is going to be the largest purchase you ever make in your entire life so i think it is smart it is wise to have a list of things i am i want and a list of deal breakers it would be wise to have that and it would be unwise to not have it now whether you wanted bedrooms or like me a big yard two bathrooms whatever your whatever was on that shopping list Can we notice a theme, or I want to invite you to notice a theme, and it's that it all has to do with us and kind of what we would like to consume, and I think that that's way okay when you're picking a house, the most expensive purchase of your life. I think it's okay to consume in that area, especially when you're going to be living there 15 or 30 years or more, but what we have to watch out for and how we're beginning this new series of talks is what we have to watch out for is that consumerism begins to infiltrate and erode every area of our lives. It's not just buying a house. It's not just where I want to eat tonight, what restaurant. It's not just where I shop and and what I'm buying and what I'm wearing, but it affects every part of our lives, including our spiritual lives. When you move to Madison, and perhaps you recently moved to Madison, you're watching or listening right now, you're new to the area, you're looking for a church, we call that something. We call it church shopping, right? I don't want to try to make you feel guilty or ashamed about that. I mean, what else are you going to do? you got to look for a church. I get that. But I'm pointing out that even in our spiritual lives, we church shop. It's consumer-driven. And perhaps you're looking for a church that will... Feed you. Again, we go back to consumer language. And the reason we're starting here, this dialogue of loving where you live, we're talking about um, consumerism and contributing, and we're beginning with the churches because for us to learn to love where we live, we first have to recognize within ourselves that our natural tendency, our natural leaning is to consume. And so we have to attack the belief first that I'm not just put on this earth. To consume. I'm not just in Madison to consume, but I'm here to contribute. And that does start with us having to change our mind. And the only reason it makes sense to change your mind is because of what Jesus says. It's because of how Jesus lived, It's because of how God wired you and the belief that God has you here in Madison. And so we're talking about consuming and contributing in the church first because we've got to begin to change the way we think. We have to unlearn some things. Now, this is going to be challenging. Uh, Richard Halverson, a former chaplain of the United States Senate, framed this global decay that's happened over thousands of years really well. He says, In the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centered on the living Christ. And then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy And then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. And next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America, where it has become an enterprise, an enterprise, a business, a company, an organization. Our consumeristic mentality, I think, was maximized and accelerated through the pandemic. Sure, we had to. We had to prioritize physical health. We had to slow the spread of COVID. We didn't want our loved ones or even people we didn't know to get sick and die of the virus. But church went from being a community and church went from being a place where we contribute and help our city and those around us to a series overnight. We went from gathering together to pray with one another, to have communion with one another, to sitting down on our computers and watching teaching series, and episode after episode, and if it wasn't good, we didn't watch next week. And it fed what was already a natural consumeristic tendency that you and I already have. And yes, church is about the spiritual content. I'm not saying that. And church is about community, especially Madison Church, where we exist to connect people with God and each other. But the church isn't just content, and it's not just about community. The church is about contributing, contributing. And how do we, after the last two years of being primarily online, how do we get back and challenge ourselves to not just consume spiritual content, not just consume community, but how do we get back to contributing how we used to and how we are supposed to? Some of the questions I begin to ask myself over the last two years is, am I here? Am I watching online? Because I'm here to be served or because I'm called to serve my neighbor, people I know, people I don't know. Am I focused strictly on what I want or am I aware of the needs that people have around me? When I'm looking for a church, church shopping, am I looking for something for what I can get out of it, what I hope to gain, or am I looking at a mission that I can believe in, a cause that I can give to with other people to maximize my time for the kingdom of God here in Madison. Those are just some of the questions that we need to begin to ask as we discern, am I a consumer or am I a contributor? And what God does absolutely intend for a body of believers, not just just one or two of us, not just five or six, not just most of us, what God intends for all of us, whether we're in person or online, what God intends for all of us in the Madison church community is for us to be a body of believers who contribute. Now community is the sum of its individuals. And so if we want to be a community who contributes, we need individuals to contribute as well. We have to see ourselves. We have to begin to see ourselves as Jesus saw himself, which is as a people, as a person who, who was sent because Jesus's church, the big C church, this community of faith, whether you live in Madison or Dane County or somewhere else, as followers of Jesus, we are a community with a cause and we are a movement of redemption and love. And God is inviting you and me to be a part of that, which I think is Absolutely amazing that God could do it all by himself, but he invites you and me to be part of it. A church is not just a place to consume a good talk, to consume a good lesson, but the church is a way that we can come together with God and with other people to make the world look more how God dreamed it would be. And so if you are a guest of Madison Church this week, or it's your first or second or fifth time with us, and you're not sure, you're still looking around, I want to invite you to consider more than just this talk, more than just our community, but to consider the values and mission of Madison Church. And if God is calling you to be a part of that here in Madison, and to begin to ask bigger questions besides, what can I get out of this? But how can I contribute to this? That's where our faith begins to get deeper and more tangible and more real. Now, I'm not just saying all this because you're a church and because I'm a pastor. I am saying this because Jesus is our example. We are followers of Jesus. And Jesus had, perhaps better than anyone in the history of the world, Jesus had a contribute first mentality. Whereas most of us are consume first, Jesus was contribute first. And we're going to go to John 4 today if you want to follow uh, with an electronic Bible or with a real Bible to take notes. Uh, We're going to John 4. Now, in John 4, there is a very famous story about a Samaritan woman who is at a well, and Jesus encounters this woman. This woman uh, is blown away by this because, one, Jesus is a Jew, she's a Samaritan, and they just didn't mingle. They didn't talk. That's how strong the racism and discrimination was between these two people groups. But furthermore, she was surprised that Jesus, a man, would be talking to her, a woman. Again, the discrimination and sexism here. But Jesus breaks down those barriers. Jesus talks to her. Jesus blows her mind, says that he's thirsty. She says, well, why don't you get a drink? And he says, no, what I I can give you is a living water. Jesus is teaching her a lesson. And again, a story we're all familiar with. She um, finds Jesus, and and he becomes her savior in that moment. And she thought she was just coming out for a drink, and she ends up uh, finding Jesus, following Jesus, and going back to town. That's the story we're familiar with. But what we may not realize is that that's not where the story ends, even though that's where we often end the story. After this woman goes back to town, the disciples are coming back. You see at the beginning of the story, the reason Jesus stops at the well is because they've been traveling, and he's tired, and he's hungry. And so the disciples are going ahead to the town to find something to eat, to find some dinner. And then they come back with dinner. And that's at this point when Jesus says something that seems pretty crazy. The woman's already gone. The disciples are back. They have food. And Jesus says, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. The disciples interpret this ultra-literally. Of course, why wouldn't you? They come back with dinner. Jesus says, "Uh, I already have food. So they kind of look around. They ask themselves, did somebody bring him food while we were gone? Uh, that's in the Bible. How great is that? Sometimes these little details that find their way into the New Testament. Now, it is a fair question. Probably the question I would have asked if I was sent to go pick up his dinner and bring it back, and he says he's got food. But Jesus clarifies: it. He's not talking about real food. He says, "My nourishment comes from doing the will of God, who sent me, and who sent me, and from finishing His work." This is the thing that keeps. Jesus going, doing the will of God, finishing God's work, doing God's work. That's what feeds him spiritually and emotionally and physically. That's what keeps Jesus going. And it is completely counterintuitive to how you and I think, right? Jesus has this contribute first mentality. And as such, contributing is what feeds him. And you and I, we tend to have that consumer first mentality and we think that if we get up and we have a good breakfast and we go to the gym and if I do all of the physical things right or I go and I talk to my therapist and I do all the emotional things right that ultimately I'll be filled. And I'm not saying anything bad or wrong about eating healthy, going to the gym, seeing a therapist, do all of those things. But what I am saying is that those things in and of themselves combined even will not keep you full. We will always find some sort of a spiritual hunger, a spiritual thirst. And in that sense, we're like the disciples or the woman at the well. And Jesus says, I have the answer so that you'll never thirst again spiritually, that you will never hunger again spiritually. But it's the opposite of what you think is going to happen. Whereas everyone in the world is saying, fill me, fill me, fill me. Jesus says, what fills me is to do the will of God. And I think that a big part of why Jesus was able, I mean, yes, he's the sinless son of God, but I think a big reason in why Jesus, as a human, just as you and I who are tempted every day to be selfish, what I think kept Jesus on point to contribute was recognizing not just his purpose, but that his purpose was being sent. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of John, Jesus' sentness, talking about how Jesus is sent into the world, comes up over 44 times. It's a reoccurring theme that Jesus was sent, and it wasn't to consume, but it was to contribute, to pour out. And we think about that woman who goes back in the town, she gets it. She gets the sentness because she goes back in the town and she tells all of her neighbors, she tells the entire community that Jesus is God, that he knew all of these things about her. In this example, Jesus was, or in the story, Jesus was sent, recognizes it. Then the Samaritan woman is sent. And as we begin to move forward, and if we want to shift from a consumer mindset to a contributor, we have to recognize that we are sent as well, and we are sent to contribute. Now, that's John four. If we go to the end of John's gospel, the end of John's biography of Jesus in chapter 20, verse 21, we read Jesus talking to his disciples again. And he says, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. Just as God has sent Jesus, Jesus now in turn is sending you and me. And Jesus has called us here to live in a countercultural ways to be not just consumers, but to be contributors. And this means that it's going to take our whole self, mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual selves and resources to contribute to the place that we have been sent, whether that's Dane County, Madison, or somewhere else. We are called to contribute, whether it's physical or in a digital space, we are called, we are sent to contribute, but not to do it by ourselves. If we read the next thing that Jesus says It says, as Father sent me, so I am sending you. And then he, Jesus, breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So you're not expected to do it alone. I know over the past two years, we've been burned out. We've been bummed. We've resigned. We've quit our jobs. We've tried new jobs. We're unhappy. Our anxiety is through the roof. We're depressed. I get all of that. And you might be thinking, I don't know if I have anything to give. I'm so at the end of my rope. I don't know if I can give anything. So while you might even agree with me that it would be great if I became more of a contributor in our society and less of a consumer, I just don't know if I have anything to give. And what Jesus says to his first disciples and to us through this text, this is not completely up to you to do this on your own. We have the Holy Spirit. And as we begin to live the way that Jesus tells us to live, where our food, our nourishment comes from doing the will of God, that our, we're not thirsty anymore because we have spiritual water to drink from him, as we begin to think in terms of doing things, again, counterculturally in a way that doesn't make sense to us, we will find that we are fed. We will find life in new ways because of the Holy Spirit in doing God's will. In his book, John for Everyone, N.T. Wright talks about this. He says, The point of receiving the Holy Spirit is clearly not to give the disciples new spiritual experiences, though to be sure they will have plenty. Nor is it to set them apart from ordinary people, a sort of holier-than-thou-art club, though to be sure they are called to live rich, full lives of devotion and dedication that is modeled on Jesus' own. The point is so that they can do in and for the whole world what Jesus had been doing in Israel. And as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. What Jesus did wasn't meant to end with him. The setness, living on purpose, working toward the kingdom of God here on earth. It wasn't intended to end with him. He passes it on to you and me. Now over the next few weeks here we're going to talk in the series called love where you live uh, we're going to talk about how we can love where we live but the very first step is to recognize that we are to be contributors because if we're only ever going to consume we're not going to love any place we live, not just Madison, not just Wisconsin, but any place. We'll find discontentment. We'll be unhappy if all we ever do is consume. And so the first step that we need to take to begin to love where we live, no matter where we live, is to recognize that as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now, you and I, we're not walking on the dirt roads of the Middle East 2,000 years ago with Jesus, but make no mistake about it, we have an opportunity to walk the icy roads of Madison, Wisconsin with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And it's time for you and me, it's time for all of us to stop exclusively looking back at what Jesus did as something that happened in the past, and not as something that is happening today, and not as something that is going to continue to happen because we are sent. We are a community of sent people. Think about where you live now, whether it's a condo, your townhome, your house apartment, wherever. The truth is, is that God has sent you there and you have a purpose there. And we have to begin to contribute to the places that we live. That can be financially. Maybe there's a neighbor who has a financial need that I am able to meet. Maybe my neighbor's been having a really tough time and so I buy them a coffee or I buy them an Uber Eats card to just say, hey, I've been thinking of you and I want to contribute. I don't want to just consume in this neighborhood, but I'm going to contribute financially. You can contribute by volunteering. You know, it snowed a lot the last couple of weeks. Perhaps you can go out and shovel their driveway. And if that's too big of a step, maybe you can just shovel their sidewalks But there are lots of ways that we can volunteer and help our neighbors. Perhaps we can feed their dogs while they take a weekend trip away. We can feed their fish while they go on vacation. There are lots of ways that we can volunteer and help people. The other way we contribute is by using our influence. We can talk against the things that are going on in our neighborhoods that should not be happening. We should talk and speak life into our neighborhoods and the places we live, not just in a physical sense and not just in a spiritual sense, but in every sense. Let's speak against racism and discrimination as it comes up here in Madison. But let's also talk about the freedom and full life that we have with Jesus. Let's start small and begin to build bigger as we consider our capacity to contribute in the places that God has sent us. Now, let me point out the obvious. That means you're going to have to get to know your neighbors. You're not going to know how to financially contribute. You're not going to know how to use your influence and help solve the problems of your neighborhood. You're not going to be able to volunteer and help your department neighbor if you don't know who they are, if you don't know their stories, and if you don't know what they're going through. And if this sounds exciting to you and you want more practical advice on this, we actually did a six-part series last August called How to Bless Your Neighbor. And we talk about this, how to begin to pray for them, to learn from who they are, get to know them, how to share stories and build the relationship. And so if you want to go back and learn about this, it's on podcast and YouTube. And it's a great foundational knowledge as we consider how we can move from being consumers where we live to contributors, which is absolutely the first step of learning how to love where I live. Now, Let's go back to the first question. How did you choose where you live? Was it the big backyard, two bathrooms, enough bedrooms, a certain town, a certain neighborhood? All of those questions were, how will it make my life better? And again, I'm not trying to shame or guilt you. I think when it comes to buying a house or where you're living, those are okay, fine questions to ask. But what if we began to see, now that we live where we live, what if we began to see it through a different lens? Can you imagine how your neighborhood might change if we begin to see our neighbors not just as a place where we live, not just people who live close to us, but as a people that we have been sent because you have been sent.